to Voices of the Belt and Road podcast, brought to you by the Belt and Road Advisory, your professional advisors on all matters concerning the Belt and Road Initiative. Voices of the Belt and Road is our flagship podcast, and with each episode, we'll hear the personal stories of people who are part of the Belt and Road Initiative. The aim of this podcast is to demystify the initiative by interviewing a broad array of people whose lives are impacted day in and day out by the world's largest cross-border trade initiative and infrastructure build-up. On this podcast, in addition to university researchers, think tank experts, and policymakers, you can also hear from business people, workers, and countless others involved in the Belt and Road. You'll hear people tell their own personal stories in their own languages, because at the end of the day, the Belt and Road Initiative is changing people's lives, and we want you to hear it from them. Please enjoy this week's podcast, and thanks for tuning in. of the Voices of the Belt and Road podcast run by the Belt and Road Advisory. This is Ravi Prasad. I'm joined by my colleague, James Lalonde. Voices of the Belt and Road podcast, we really try to bring in a range of diverse perspectives on the Belt and Road Initiative to promote a more nuanced understanding of what's going on. And today we're very lucky to have Oyuna Baldakova with us. Oyuna is a PhD researcher at the Free University of Berlin, where her research interest focuses on the Belt and Road Initiative in Central Asia. Her thesis title is Win-Win on the Local Level, Study of the Belt and Road Initiative's Linkage Effect in Central Asia. And today we're particularly lucky because she is taking time out of her field work in Kazakhstan to do this podcast with us today. Oyuna, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me, Ruby. No problem. And before we get stuck in into your research, which is really, really fascinating, um, I'm going to start with our first go-to classic question, which is, please, can you introduce yourself and your background? Okay. Well, um, yes, my name is Ayuna. I come from Russia, from um, the eastern Siberia, actually, the area which is close to Mongolia and uh, where there's the Baikal Lake. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's the deepest lake in the world. And I did my master, my bachelor's uh, in Russia and then my master's in Germany. And for the last seven years, I've been living in Germany. Um, so I, my focus, um, my my. Well, my master's was in uh, East Asian studies, so I focused on China and Chinese politics. Um, after my master's, I worked in the development sector, which uh, eventually brought me to do my PhD, which is focusing on the Belt and Road Initiative from the perspective of international development. And currently, I'm doing uh, my field work in, in Kazakhstan. Cool. You've definitely traveled around a lot from uh, Russia to uh, Germany and uh, now doing a lot of work in, in Central Asia. Um, and so, yeah, moving on to your, your research interest on Central Asia. Now, you're doing a lot of work in Kazakhstan. Um, and, you know, th- this is really fascinating because for the first time in a long time, the limelight is back on the Central Asian landmass, and particularly in the context of the rise, the dawn of Eurasia. Again, I always remember as a kid, I used to look at my, my world maps and think, I don't know anything about this region connecting um, Europe and Asia. But uh, today, we, we're in an environment where we're hearing more about it, and people like yourself are at the forefront of taking that dialogue further. So from the perspective of some of our listeners who probably don't know all that much about Kazakhstan, I was wondering if you could just tell them a bit of an overview about the country and some of your thoughts. Uh, about uh, you know living and working there. 
Okay, well, so Kazakhstan is uh, one of the world's largest uh, landlocked countries, actually the biggest, uh, the, the, the largest landlocked country in the world and the ninth on the, its, uh, of, of its territory, um, uh, the ninth biggest uh, uh, in the world. It has 18 million people and it means it's very, um, um, the, the density of population is very low. Um, it's very rich in uh, natural resources, oil, gas, uranium, etc., and um, borders China on its um, west and uh, Russia in the north, also other Central Asian republics as Kyrgyzstan, Uzbekistan, and Turkmenistan in the south. So um, it's a former Soviet um, um, Soviet country, and um, the, the, the languages here are um, Kazakh and Russian, and the population is, consists of 60% uh, of Kazakh people. Um, they are former nomads or one of the nomadic tribes, um, um, and the, uh, the Turkic language, uh, the, the Kazakh language is similar to the Turkic language group. Um, well, I don't know if I should mention the GDP size, and yeah, if you're interested in that. So it, yeah, it yeah. has um, 130 billion GDP, which brings it to the top 50 countries, and it has a goal of uh, joining uh, the top 30 countries by 2030, 2030. So it wants to grow its GDP and diversify its economy. Well, and it's one of the rich uh, Central Asian states, right? Exactly. So, you know, I, I think I, I didn't hear you talk about being in Kazakhstan before this research. So what were some of your first impressions of just the country and the people and maybe how it's different from where you're from or where you've traveled? Just so we get a feel for what, what life is like there just a little bit. Okay. Well, actually, it's not my first time in Kazakhstan. I used um, I used to work uh, for a development consulting company in Germany, and one of my projects was in Central Asia, focusing on the uh, education reform uh, here. So I had to travel quite frequently to the region, and I was in Kazakhstan before. But as I mentioned, like uh, the language here is Russian, so it's pretty similar to like the language environment is is um, rather easy for me to live in. Um, as for the culture, of course, uh, there are um, uh, subtle differences um, in, in small details that probably if you, um, like say, um, in, in, in Russia, um, the, the tea drinking culture is, is quite different from here. That was struck me. I remember the first time I came to Kazakhstan. Um, so in, in Russia, you would normally pour a tea very, like, to the top, like, you would have a full cup of tea, because, well, tea drinking is, 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 a part of the culture generally. Um, here, you would pour the tea till the middle, so you, as a show of respect, because in the South, it's considered to be rude if you pour the tea to the top. So this is this very small, very little detail I was quite shocked with when I first encountered that because I, I was um, thirsty and uh, I noticed it was kind of funny. So have you had to reduce your tea consumption accordingly? Well, sort of, but then the point is that you show your respect and you want the guests to stay longer. That's why you kind of pour very, um, like, uh, not much tea for the person to, to enjoy it uh, for a longer time. Right, okay. Fascinating, fascinating. And uh, just moving on to the next question then, um, you know, how, how do you think about economic links between China and Kazakhstan, particularly in the context of China's Belt and Road Initiative? Of course, the BRI was first introduced by Xi Jinping in Kazakhstan. Kazakhstan plays an 
important role as a land bridge connecting Asia and Europe. So, you know, how do you think about Kazakhstan and China's link, particularly in the context of the BRI, and, and what are some of the main projects involved? Oh, yes, that's true. Um, the Belt and Road Initiative, the first uh, mention of the uh, economic um, belt was mentioned in, uh, was uh, happened in, um, in Astana, uh, the uh, Nazarbayev University, uh, the capital of, uh, in the capital of Kazakhstan in 2013. But of course, before that, uh, China has invested already a lot in, in Kazakhstan, particularly being interested in its natural resources. And one of the bigger um, trading partners of Kazakhstan, uh, importing a lot of oil, gas, and uh, other metals. So it has, like, when you look at the statistics, for example, um, in 2017, China um, invested about 14 billion in, in total and uh, 5 billion in transportation to in finance, uh, to in mining and manufacturing. So it's been pretty active in transportation and finance sectors as well. And how uh, which has the Indian number changed over time? Has that been a dramatic increase in investment? In yes, that's been an increase uh, in investment, of course. But uh, interestingly enough, the, um, the the external debt, governmental debt, debt makes only seven percent. Like the Chinese, um, the debt to, to to the Chinese government is only seven percent of the total Kazakhstan. Uh, uh, wow. external uh, governmental debt. So it's in terms of like you have the kind of healthy ratio, right, of uh, debt and investment uh, within Kazakhstan. So they are, uh, un unlike its neighboring country, Kyrgyzstan, they, uh, which has like 41% of its debt to China. Uh, it's very different dynamics here. Do you have anything um, like that? Or, or, sorry. Yeah, uh, well, uh, as for the, uh, say, bigger uh, infrastructure projects, you have um, Horgos, which is uh, very famous, um, quite well known, I think, by, by now. A um, uh, uh, transportation hub, it's a dry port on the border between Kazakhstan and China. Um, so uh, this is the, uh, where the... the the train passes through, and uh, because of the different uh, width of the rails, um, uh, it has the trains have to stop, and there is a, a re like relocation re, re, or re um, of of the containers from uh, the Chinese trains to the Kazakh trains. So they are moving the the containers from from the trains, um, and this is one of the big businesses of the Korbos Railways, uh, no, no, the Kazakh Railways. So they are the main holder of this uh, Horgos Gateway, the dry port on the border. Cool. Can you just tell Which us is, more about that train? Mm -hmm. That train starts where sure. it goes, where, what, what kind sure. of train yes. Okay. So the um, the Korgos Gateway, the, the dry port, right? It's um, has 49% of its stock is owned by Costco and Liaoningang, uh, the Chinese owners. So the 51 belongs to Kazakhstan government. Um, so you have a 51 to 49 ratio here. And um, I guess about 70% of the whole um, trains, that, of all the trains are coming from Liaoningang in China. So they're quite dependent on the Chinese goods 
coming from um, taking all uh, the, the, this route, exactly this route, through Korgos and going further. Most of them are from Korgos are going to Central Asia, actually, not to Europe, because there's another port which is called Dastik, which is in the northern part of Kazakhstan, which takes more uh, goods that go to Europe. But now there's this kind of competition between these two dry ports. Uh, but so far, Korgos has been uh, sending m most of its goods to Central Asia, say to Uzbekistan or Kyrgyzstan, also within Kazakhstan itself. There's also, um, they're trying to develop the routes to go further to the Caspian Sea and uh, further to, say, Georgia and up to Europe. Uh, but this is also being um, developing now. I think they're trying to have more, uh, have more goods going through that way. These projects, they are predominantly financed by the Chinese or um, or, or other sources? Well, actually, um, most of the infrastructure projects within Kazakhstan are financed by Kazakhstan itself. Uh, also, they attract more um, more finance from, uh, say, other development banks. Uh, the, there's this route, um, say, it's called Western China, Western Europe, which was funded by the World Bank. Um, in Astana, they are building, uh, they are building the uh, light rail train system, which is like the metro system, which will be fin financed by the CDB, Chinese Develop China Development Bank. And I think in 2017, they've invested 1.6 billion dollars in that. But so far, um, predominantly by Kazakhstan government, because they have this program called Nurlizol. So Nurlizol means bright path, and this is like a development, infrastructure development project of Kazakhstan, and it, it, it has been launched in 2014, and they're trying to have it uh, more in, um, like, uh, more in, in synergy together with the Belt and Road Initiative. Ah, understand. Very, very interesting. You know, it's in mainstream narratives you'll hear about the Belt and Road Initiative, but we won't hear about Nurli Zolf, right? And, you know, what's interesting yes. from what you say is, you know, most of these projects are actually financed predominantly by the Kazakh government, whereas when people think about infrastructure in the region, I think there's often a sense that, oh, China is funding everything. So, you know, hearing yeah. you know, these kind of insights, I think, uh, are really useful to improve our understanding of what China is actually doing on the ground. Well, that's true, but I think it all depends on the country. It's the country's uh, capabilities because, say, in Kyrgyzstan, there's a bit different story. I have not done much of the fieldwork in Kyrgyzstan. I hope to go there into Uzbekistan as well a bit later this year. But from what I see, like, say, Kazakhstan has been relatively rich, right, in its uh, oil resources so, and gas and managed to have, um, like, to collect money to invest in their own development, so to say. Sure, sure, cool, cool. So you mentioned Korgos, it's a really interesting one, you know, this border crossing point, they're building a special economic zone there, the, the train in mm. Central Asia goes through this. Um, and it's, 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 it's uh, used as an example of a key Belt and Road Initiative project. Now, from, your, from what you've seen on the ground, how do you feel these projects in general are progressing? Sure, lots of big numbers are being thrown around, one billion here, two billion here. But from what you see on the ground, do you see progress when it comes to these Belt and Road projects? And what are some of the challenges that comes with actually trying to build these projects in the first place? Mm, okay. So, Horgos, 
uh, is a special case, right? Orders consist of three parts, three big objects, so to say. You have the, as you mentioned, the special economic zone, which is uh, the territory um, especially for to invest, certain, uh, to attract certain investments, so say build and manufacturing plant there or something like that. Then you have the free trade zone, uh, which is a border between, on the border between Kazakhstan and China. You have this, this free trade area where everyone can go without a visa and buy goods without any um, taxes on them. And you have the dry port as well, which is a part of the free economic zone, so they are not being taxed and they are being um, most, as I mentioned, 51% belongs to the uh, Kazakh railways. Um, uh, so um, there, there are these three, three objects, and of course the uh, development stage, are diff uh, they are all at different development stages, so to say. The most successful one is, of course, the um, the, the, the dry port itself, because there have been trains uh, passing by already, and the, the amount is growing year by year. They've been operational, I think, since the end of 2016, beginning of 2017, and for a few years, uh, they have uh, there's a steady growth of um, trains passing passing through this uh, the, the dry port. Um, and then you have uh, the special economic zone, which so far has tried to attract certain investments, but and they are being at the kind of design stage at the moment. They are trying to build the first, say, manufacturing facilities for certain companies, but there's nothing else yet except for the dry port, right? So there are no, no many, not many companies uh, yet being operational there. They are just still being built. And as for the free trade zone, the, the area between uh, the Kazakhstan and China, um, so which has also two parts, the China side and the Kazakh side. And China side is extremely successful from my perspective because it has a lot of, like, several big shopping malls uh, at the moment, building a lot of skyscrapers. It looks like a proper city because actually there's a proper city next to it called Horgos, which is across uh, uh, the border and you need a special visa if you want to go to the city itself. But within this free trade zone, you can shop on the China side without any visa. Like, so there are many Kazakh um, people, um, small and medium, like enterprises, like the, the, prop, uh, the, the um, people who just buy cheap goods and travel back to, uh, to Kazakhstan to sell them, they, they flock to, to Horgos uh, in big amounts. Uh, as for the Kazakh side, uh, it's still being developed. And um, I think... Um, at the moment, there are a few operational buildings, uh, and uh, it took them a lot of time to actually have all the infrastructure facilities set because there was nothing before, right? There was a bare step. Uh, there was no electricity, no water, no um, other infrastructure facilities, so still, they are still being, uh, building those, and they are hoping to have more investments coming and having the recreational park and the big... Uh, you know, the, the like uh, Corgos uh, Disneyland or something like that to have more Chinese tourists actually spending money on the Kazakh side. So, Oyuna, do you see um, a situation where maybe the people in Kazakhstan are learning from the Chinese as far as how to do these things so that they're attracted to the consumers or the, uh, the infrastructure they build out is more successful? Is there some... Um, you know, learning of best practices happening um, 
because you know the the Chinese have been doing this for a while. I, my first visit was in 1994, and I've trains, planes, and automobiles. I've, I've especially automobiles. I've been all over the country, and there was a lot of build it and they will come. And there were empty roads and, and, and in China too in the early days, and they filled up over time. And and so I'm just curious, you know, do you see them learning or? Uh, the China side of the board is the hands-down winner, or how is that progressing in your idea? Mm. From what I saw, say, in Horgos, uh, on the Kazakh side of the free trade zone, uh, there's been a lot of joint ventures set up. So you have the Kazakh-Chinese joint ventures to develop certain infrastructure objects there. And um, as far as I understood, like a lot of, uh, most of the financing comes from, from China side, and of course they are um, probably would uh, look for the cheaper labor, say, uh, maybe from China or from Kazakhstan. Uh, it really depends on the company. Unfortunately, I didn't manage to go to the, like, really, like, company level and do interviews there. But from what I see, like, they are being, they are currently encouraging those, those uh, joint ventures to be set in this area. Yeah, I, I think that's going to be really important going forward. We can build up all the best infrastructure uh, that, that we want, but ultimately if there's no industry that's going to be there to utilize uh, that infrastructure, then um, it's going to probably incur debt that is going to be difficult to repay. Um, clearly China managed to uh, you know, build its infrastructure and then the demand came later, but that's going to be a big challenge for some of these uh, Central Asian countries like Kazakhstan. No, that's true. But well, again, I'm t talking about this small, uh, small case study, right, of Porgos, where uh, you have still a lot of tourists from China coming uh, to to visit, say, this border area, which is which doesn't require a visa, uh, and uh, that's the that's what uh, Kazakhstan hopes for, right? The amount of Chinese tourists entering uh, this area and uh, shopping in the malls, uh, spending time in the uh, recreational facilities and um, actually, uh, yeah, focusing mostly on attracting tourists. Sure, sure, M makes sense. The other interesting thing that I heard today that was the fact that, you know, Kazakhstan kind of uh, had their own growth vision. Um, I forget the name you mentioned it. And then um, and it even started, maybe predated the, the, format, the formal announcing of the Belt and Road. And then there's, you know, the importance of aligning the two. And in fact, I think this is really not well known that these other countries are not just jumping on China's wagon, but they actually have their own designs and desires for the future. And, and the fact that, the, you know, um, that the Belt and Road is there to kind of plug in uh, or fit with it uh, makes for a good makes for a good story that I don't think many people have heard. How real is that on the ground there? Uh, and how what is the literacy of the people in Kazakhstan about just knowing what the Belt and Road is? Because where I'm from in America, no one knows what it is. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think it really depends here how you call it, because 
Uh, Belt and Road itself uh, probably is not that known, but you have the new Silk Road, right? And the Silk Road is the buzzword here. And of course, being part of the old Silk Road, they are the main route uh, to, to part of to Kazakhstan. Uh, of course, this this is a well-known uh, word here, and when you say, call it New Silk Road or the economic Silk Road, then of course they, they would uh, react to that. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, Do you think the linking between the two visions is, is, is fairly tight, uh, even though it wasn't really maybe planned originally? How, how does that, just from a researcher's point of view, maybe not from the average person's point of view? Uh, well, it's a good question. Um, I think, as, as, as I mentioned already, the Norwegian it was announced after the Belton Road Initiative, and uh, probably it was one of the, uh, the Kazakhstan government's way to kind of link up to the Belton Road and show that they have their own ideas of development, uh, but at the same time say, like, yes, we want to work with China, we want to cooperate with China. There is a other bigger entity, and you know, the Kazakhstan is part of the Eurasian Economic Union, and uh, there has been a realignment of the Eurasian Economic Union uh, of the development policy to the Belt and Road Initiative, which is another complicated issue. So they they are still, I think, in the aspirant circles, they are still debating and discussing how it is possible to align all these different development ideas to each other, and uh, if. Um, um, and uh, how to do it successfully. Right. Right. Cool. Um, so, yeah, I think that that's really interesting how the Belt and Road almost has catalyzed, in, to some extent, the development of countries' own infrastructure plans and other infrastructure plans. We also see Japan escalating its efforts on infrastructure build and India, too. Um, but uh, Belt and Road has definitely played a role, I think, in accelerating that process. So. Uh, interesting. Yeah, that's one, one final question then, um, regarding uh, Chinese presence in the Belt and Road Initiative or New Silk Road and Ch and the Chinese backing of it in Kazakhstan. What what is the perception of uh, of local Kazakhs that you have spoken to mm. um, regarding China? Well, yeah, this is another interesting question because here in Kazakhstan, on the very top level, you have very a close relationship right between the uh, Kazakhstan and Chinese governments and they have uh, like good partners etc but on the local level there's still a lot of well sort of suspicion right and xenophobia uh, and they say it's uh, it's been there for centuries because uh, for centuries they've been neighboring nations and uh, Kazakhstan was always afraid uh, that China might come and conquer their land because the population is very low here and uh, the, the land is vast and the, uh, the resources are vast as well so there are this um, uh, sense of xenophobia. There are a lot of, like, when you, as they, uh, on the social media, you can quite often uh, see some articles about uh, how Chinese are going to come and conquer the land. There was, there have been some protests back a few years ago when the uh, Kazakhstan government decided to introduce a longer lease for, so there was, they, they wanted to introduce a law on uh, letting the foreigners leasing their land uh, from, I think, 20 to 50 years or something. So there was a longer time period, right? Um, 
and the people went to protest. So they were afraid that the Chinese uh, would come and take up their land and basically stay there. And um, uh, they are quite interested. Uh, of course, the, the Chinese are quite interested in having more agriculture projects, products coming from Kazakhstan. That's why they were also investing a lot uh, in, in uh, agriculture sector here. And that was what, this is one of the fears in, uh, in the people. Interesting, interesting. And do you see China, Chinese projects, Chinese policymakers actually trying to do anything to resolve some of these brand management issues? Uh, well, I mean, of course, there's this discussion of Chinese soft power, right? Uh, they have been having more and more Kazakh students coming to China, uh, like having this uh, scholarship for the uh, Kazakh students going to China and studying the language and trying to teach them about their country and um, trying to explain them that this is there's no threat. Um, of course, you have the uh, Confucius Institute here, um, but I think on the bigger level, you don't really feel that. And there are, of course, they say that, for example, there are those um, China telenovelas here, like the, the the historical soap operas, which are quite popular in Kazakhstan, from what I've heard. But it's still not very comprehensive, in my understanding. And of course, there are other issues, uh, um, bigger challenges, say, with Xinjiang, because Xinjiang is um, the, um, the, the is the, it's part of China and it's it's bordering Kazakhstan, right? The, um, the Xinjiang uh, Uyghur um, autonomous region, and uh, there's been and they are Muslim, right? The Kazakhstan people are Muslim, and the Xinjiang. Uh, uh, the Uyghurs they are, are Muslim as well. So there's also concern in Kazakhstan about the treatment of Uyghurs there in Xinjiang uh, and uh, the, uh, the, the ethnic Kazakhs living in, in Xinjiang as well. So uh, there's also concern about the, these re re-education facilities and other things that are being in the media lately. And that's something that um, at a governmental level the Kazakh government are taking issue with with the Chinese government or is it something you just read in, in media? I think uh, the the Kazakh the government would try to issue a note or something and say like, uh, but but mostly about the treatment of Kazakh people in Xinjiang, Kazakh uh, Kazakh ethnic uh, ethnic uh, people. Um, as for Uyghurs, I'm not so sure about that. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. That's this week's Voices of the Belt and Road podcast. If you want to learn more about the Belt and Road Initiative, check out our website at beltandroad.ventures. That's Belt and Road, one word, no spaces, and .ventures, V-E-N-T-U-R-E-S. On the website, you can subscribe to our weekly Belt and Road Bulletin and also follow our Belt and Road Advisory social media accounts on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. That way, you'll always be up to date on what is happening on the Belt and Road. Thanks for tuning in, and see you next week.